This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. setting this up for quite some time so it's really great uh finally getting a chance to to finally speak with you uh he's a prolific profile on twitter and also check out his articles on substack and a lot of the same interest is what i write about uh indian bronson it's uh, great having you on the show hey happy to be here uh yeah and i i apologize for my uh <laughs> my my kind of crazy scheduling you were doing some road trip across the country yeah, I you know both both regular work and uh, and just you know visiting visiting friends has been uh, you know sort of taking me around and uh, yeah. Did you make it to I mean, California? I did. I I spent a little bit of time in Los Angeles. I'd never been to Los Angeles. Um, Culver City is pretty nice. Uh, so so is Bel Air. So is West Hollywood. But uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah was, I'm in LA native. It was very enjoyable. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, I really I really enjoyed Culver City. The uh, the seal. Of um, of the, the municipality is uh, is very charming. Uh, the, uh, the 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 city hall, uh, it's got you know the big film camera and everything. I, it was nice. I liked it. Yeah, it's a pretty cool city. So to get to kind of get things started, uh, Indian Bronson, uh, you're from a Hindu background. Can you tell us about your political evolution and has your background shaped your views and uh, and your political outlook? Um, yeah, so, um, sh- sure, sort of, uh, I, I, I guess I would say everyone's, everyone's background shapes their, their political outlook, right? You know, I mean, this is, this is it's your background, you know, um, so it's kind of what gives you perspective on the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't really, uh, I can't really imagine what it's like to grow up, uh, you know, as a Christian in a, in a nominally uh, Christian majority country or a Christian default country. Um, but you know, that was the community I grew up in as a Hindu. Um, and so I, I suppose things like, uh, you know, the evolution of a secular society, um, what it really means for people to be religious, um, uh, these, these sorts of things were things that I was thinking about, uh, when I was pretty young. Um, so that, that probably contributed a little bit to my interest in history. Um, you know, obviously, most Hindus are ultimately from India, from from you know what is sometimes termed South Asia. Uh, so you know, yeah, that, I would say for sure, like those those things definitely guided um, most of my reading of history, and then also uh, like kind of my understanding of contemporary politics. Uh, because you know, I mean, like you're you're from an outsider group, kind of like looking in at the society and being like, huh, how are things 
you know, why are things like this? How did things become this way? Uh, do things have to be this way? Yeah. Do you have a strong identification with the broader uh, Desi or Indian diaspora in the United States? And what are your thoughts on uh, the future and the role of Indian diaspora in the United States increasingly, uh, increasingly becoming uh, influential? And also the stereotype of uh, the Indian community in the West being more attracted to the to the woke side of politics, which is different than uh, the the perception, which is pretty different than uh, your political views. Yeah, so um, I spoke a little bit about this on on Razib Khan's podcast uh, some some time ago. Uh, I think I think maybe like a year and a half. Not sure. I think I did. Uh, yeah, I did listen to that one. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I mean, there 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 are pockets uh, in the United States of like. Um, you know, very well settled, uh, you know, like sort of enclaves of Indians who are, you know, even if they're really assimilated, right, like they're just around other Indian people, uh, often around other Indian Muslims or other Indian Hindus, uh, some Sikhs, but, you know, they're just, there aren't that many. <coughs> and, uh, you know, I, I kind of derisively <laughs> referred to them as like New Jersey Indians. Um, I've never been to East, the East Coast, but I guess the California example would be, uh, there's a city, uh, Fremont in the barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's I, I I would imagine it's kind of the same thing. Um, no, I don't I don't really identify with them. Uh, I don't really, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think if you grow up in that uh, in that milieu, you uh, you identify as very Indian, but maybe not necessarily very Hindu. Whereas, um, you know, I mean, I <laughs> I guess I use the term Indian Brownson, but like. Uh, I don't. I don't really feel that much of a connection to uh, contemporary India, um, but I do identify as a Hindu, and I, I do follow Hindu orthopraxy. So uh, it's it's kind of you know I'm sort of on the other side of the fence from uh, from a lot of them, which I think is also why uh, I don't really share their politics. Um, you know, they're kind of they're kind of two. Uh, you know, sort of broadly two Americas that I think. Um, you know, all white American voters intuit this, uh, and and so do political analysts when they talk about you know red states versus blue states. Um, you know, you can you know pe people people always get really nervous when you start talking about race and politics, but uh, you can you can just go to any mainstream publication, you can go to any political scientists' articles about you know elections, and you can just do like you know control F or command F or like Latino or black or you know white, and you can you can find out that it actually matters a lot in American politics. Um, and, and these two kinds of white America that exist, broadly being red state Americans and blue state Americans, uh, they, they have very different conceptions of America. They have very different conceptions of, uh, of the American future, uh, what things are good or bad about America's past, why they're good or bad. Um, they have different cultural habits, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think basically immigrants to the United States uh, overwhelmingly because of um, you know, because of how immigration happens, um, you know, at the at the lower end of skills, at the, the lower end of incomes, uh, you, you are basically, you know, quasi-dependent on the state. They typically become uh, reliable Democratic voters. But then at the higher end of incomes and the higher end of skills, um, you know, you if you're importing people who are in their own homeland, uh, you know, a cognitive or, or financial or, or sociopolitical elite, uh, and you put them in a developed country, uh, they're <laughs> they're basically going to reflect the opinions, if if not go further, um, of that country's own elite. And in the United States, that's you know that's being neon blue. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, like, why why are they woke? Well, because <laughs> why does Goldman Sachs have a chief diversity officer? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I, I, I I think I can guess why, right? You know, um, you know, no one's no one's getting fired for being woke at uh, at uh, at Harvard or Goldman Sachs or you know. Uh, no, no, no doors are really closed to you because of that. Whereas, you know, the opposite side of that question, um, you know, you know, conservative politics, right-wing politics, uh, that's that's as low status as it gets um, in, uh, in in most of America. So, uh, it's not surprising to me that that most of them uh, ultimately glom on towards it. And you know, I, I kind of don't blame them, but also I blame them a little bit. You know. Yeah, it makes total sense. Like, if if you're coming to this country and you're a striver, you're going to want to align yourself. With the group that's uh, that's in power or perceived in power, do you see the Indian diaspora as becoming increasingly influential in the West? Um, look, you know, if you if you take the inventory of, of like you know the top ten percent of uh, you know uh, top twenty five university graduates, um, people who work at like a, a bald bracket at bank somewhere, people who um, you know have master's degrees in something. Uh, people who have the gift of gab, people who earn, you know, money doing, uh, you know, quote something in the knowledge economy, uh, <laughs> you know that 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 uh, that wonderful phrase. You know, if you take if you take those people and you ask, will their influence over over U.S. empire, over U.S. regime, increase or decrease? I mean, the answer is increase, right? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of core technical skills and a lot of you know foundational infrastructures, you know, so commodified uh, and so easy at this point that like you know really it's kind of this this game courtesan kabuki politics that that gets you ahead and uh yeah you know um you know people people from other countries who are smart are good at that and so yeah they'll 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 become more prominent they'll you know you will, I, I think it's already happening right like it's it's pretty obvious you know look, look who the vice president is um you know and and beyond that <laughs> you know look look who one of the the favorite politicians of the right wing is in, in, in terms of answering her. You know, it's not out of the question uh, that in our next presidential election we could have, uh, uh, you know, Nikki Haley versus uh, versus Kamala Harris, which is, I mean, you know, for, for an Indian or I guess for someone who studies, uh, you know, uh, 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 India's very diverse and, and interesting uh, demographic history, this would be. So we'll we'll see, but uh, yeah, no, I think I think it'll play an increasingly large role in, uh, in the political f- future of the U.S. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate that their their opinions and their votes and their their habits and all of that stuff will largely resemble that of uh, you know of their 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 economic peers. Uh, they they will largely resemble sort of you know the upper ten percent of uh, American incomes, which is pretty woke. Uh, and even if not woke, you know, sort of mainline Democrat. Uh, you wrote a Substack about critical. Uh, race uh, theory. So it was a while back that I read it, but you're actually very critical of how the intellectual dark web crowd has responded to IDW and the conservative response in general. Is it broadly that they're talking just about going back to colorblind classical liberalism, or it goes beyond that? Because because uh, there's this debate. Some people will will say that uh, CRT is just anti-whiteness. If you had to kind of identify your main criticisms of how the conservative uh, movement and the IDWR intellectual dark web are responding to CRT, do you see them as totally ineffective, or do you think that it's a positive trend? There's uh, 
strong opposition. And you talked about it, it's sort of like a, a status signifier for sure, but your main take on the ideological framework of CRT and why you think a lot of these figures criticizing it are pretty ineffective. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's um, you know, if you're if you're interested in reading the piece, uh, it's it's on IndianBronson.substack.com. Um, so, okay, you know, like uh, I I don't know James Lindsay in real life. Um, you know, I'm Twitter mutuals with Claire Lemon. Uh, I've you know I've met Gerdusky and Rufo. Uh, I like all of them. They're they're all they're all uh, you know they they they're all very personable people. Uh, none of them have ever been nasty to me. Many of them have been very polite and, you know, indulgent of me. So I don't, it's, it's you know, there, there's a thing that happens when you criticize people uh, for, for, like, you know, maybe maybe not being as effective politically as you'd like, that people are like, wow, he's really, he's, he's body slamming this person. Um, no, I, 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 think, I think, you know, conservatives who, who dislike crazy stuff that's being taught to their kids, uh, they mean well, uh, they're correct, they're perceiving reality, right? Um, but the way the way they're going about all of this is, uh, <coughs> uh, it's it's kind of doomed, um, and it, it, you know it's kind of doomed because they have you know th they already buy a previous version of these arguments, um, and so what we're seeing now is just kind of like the conclusion of those arguments uh, manifesting, um, you know. So so classical liberals and and I would say you know the uh, <laughs> the intellectual dark web, uh, which is just a just a just a terrible name, uh, you know, you know they they are basically people who are who are classical liberals, right? Um, and you know, classical liberals have a lot of a lot of ideological commitments, um, you know, that are ultimately I think I think driven by basically just concerns for decent uh, decency, uh, like they they really do just believe in. In you know protecting human dignity, they really are uh, just kind of like nice people, um, and uh, and that's why they keep losing, <laughs> right? Because you know liberalism has moved on from classical liberalism. Uh, it's kind kind of suggested the name itself, and uh, you know at its core, like you know to to even suggest um, that different peoples can be different in any way, uh, this is this is unacceptable to liberalism for people to have different outcomes, for people to experience, um, you know, different opportunities, for people to, uh, you know, to really, really just live in any way different lives or be treated any differently. Uh, this is basically unacceptable to liberalism. But you'll notice there's like a deep amount of hypocrisy where uh, actually it's perfectly willing to inflict those different outcomes on specifically white people, and so you know a lot of a lot of classical liberals at this point become very uncomfortable um, because it's like, uh oh, uh, I you know I know the other group of people that notice or claim to notice unfair treatment of white people, and and those people are pretty scary. Uh, the, you know those those people say crazy shit, uh, they do crazy things, uh, they they seem like you know maybe they they, you know, they might have a, a uh, relationship towards planning violent acts, uh, you know, it's 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 just a bad news socially. But um, you know, I think those fears are first of all kind of overblown. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson is as mainstream as it gets. Uh, mainstream news will call him a white nationalist. It's a very fashionable thing. But I think he's actually like recently he's been going beyond what conservatism 
well, he still yeah, says he's for yeah, color yeah, blindness, yeah, but, but he is sort of my, giving my, these. My, uh, my point, my my point, yeah, yeah. But my, my my point, my point in saying this is that like, um, it's very fashionable uh, these days to basically to just call people evil, and and I think classical liberals of the the susceptible to anyone in the media sim. Um, and so they're in this they're in this kind of impossible position where any sort of robust critique of of what critical race theory ultimately stands for, uh, they've they've you know disarmed themselves of that. Um, and then to actually argue against what critical race theory is doing, they would have to throw out all of their prior liberal commitments, and they can't do that either. Um, so really, the only thing for them to do is just sort of slowly surrender, which is kind of what they've been doing uh, with all other prior manifestations of critical race theory. Um, because this isn't, you know, this isn't a thing that was just invented two years ago or just, you know, started two years ago. Um, a lot of this stuff basically originates from, uh, you know, long, long-held ideas about how children should be taught about race and, you know, who's to blame for different outcomes in America and things like that. Um, you know, there, there's a, a paper that I, I point out, you know, it was published in 2005, uh, you know, it's called No Child Left Behind and the denigration of race. Uh, and this is a mainstream paper. You can find it on, you know, ERIC, which is a, is a collection of educational resources that the government makes available. And, uh, you know, the abstract goes, race is the social expression of power and privilege, and new racial configurations take shape in conjunction with alterations in the political economy of American society. This article examines the relationship of educational policy to the emergence of a new conception of racism that has appeared in the post-civil rights era. Colorblind racism. Colorblind policies are championed as fair and just, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, ultimately, what are they? Colorblind policies are racist, right? Because they reinforce the dominant cultural hegemonies and blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is 2005. Um, you know, in 2005, academics were talking about equal opportunity and not seeing race as being racist. Uh, so, for, you know, for... For, for, for classical liberals to be like, can't we just get back to the way things used to be? You know, they, they, they don't understand that, you know, they, that ship has sailed. That ship sailed a decade ago. Um, and so that's, that's really, like, that's really the core problem with, with their argument. And, and again, the, you know, you can, you can read the full thing at indianbronson.substack.com, but it's like, uh, they're, they're kind of in an impossible position. Um, and uh, I, I really just don't, I really don't see... Uh, much hope for uh, for sort of the the mainstream, uh, although perhaps the, perhaps it's shifted the mainstream IDW argument against CRT because they're they're unwilling basically to reckon with uh, just like the fundamentally anti-white nature of it. And yeah, there's like a whole other debate about whether uh, woke culture and CRT is actually classical liberalism or something entirely entirely different. But uh, do you see? Uh, well, well, these types of policies having an overall uh, negative or subvert—it's it's an evolution of classical liberalism. It's an evolution of classical liberalism. Liberals don't get right. It's like, you know, if you if you have a society that is classically liberal and one of its core uh, ideological commitments is that everyone is equal, uh, what happened? They just they repeatedly aren't materially equal. Um, you know, you're you're left with you're left with you know. You admit that people aren't always equal in all times and places, uh, but another is that uh, actually, you know, it must be that the people who are doing well are oppressing people who aren't doing well. Um, 
you know, it, 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 this, this becomes a little bit easier to understand if you think of something that, like, no one could mistake. Uh, so no one could mistake height. So, you know, if a, if a man of 5'10", not short, but, you know, not super tall, um, you know, if a man of 5'10 wanted to become a basketball player, probably, you know, for most of his life when he's growing up, he could do all right. Uh, but then, you know, sometime in high school, uh, and certainly if he tried playing in college, what would happen is that most people who are going to play basketball really, really well, who are going to be recruited, who are going to just simply do better at basketball, uh, they're more like people who are 6'4", and 6'5", and 6'6", uh, you know, maybe even taller than that. Uh, everyone can kind of look <laughs> at a person who is who is 5'10", and a person who is 6'4", and they can be like, yeah, that's the guy, that, that's the guy who's going to be the better basketball player, right? Um, but imagine that that difference weren't so clear. Uh, imagine for whatever reason, you know, that, that difference weren't so obvious. Uh, you know, after a while, if you just get these people who have, you know, the right height or whatever, constantly, you know, dominating in basketball, uh, unless people could discover that there's actually something, you know, that, that can't really be bridged that's causing this inequality, uh, basically one of the <laughs> easiest explanations to reach for, not the only explanation, but one of the easiest explanations to reach for is that uh, this is actually conspiratorial. Uh, actually, these people who, who have all of the success in basketball are keeping out everyone that doesn't really have uh, so much success in basketball, and they're doing it unfairly, and there has to be some sort of you know, retributive, redistributive justice. Uh, that is more or less where, um, you know, that's, that's more or less where classical liberalism has, has taken us. And so, you know, this sort of woke culture, you know, being awake to, uh, to systemic racism, that's, you know, that's, that's what this means, right? It's like this, it's a novel slang term. Uh, it really just emerges from basically like the failures of classical liberalism. Um, and uh, so there, there's no, there's no real way out. Um, I, I think the reason classical liberals are, um, you know, basically terrified of this is that they think if they give up these ideological commitments, uh, that they throw away things like grace, uh, they throw away things like mercy, uh, they throw away things like trying to preserve human dignity, trying to preserve an equal standard of human dignity for people. Um, I don't think that's true, and and that's why I'm not a that's why I'm not a classical liberal. Um, I don't I don't think <laughs> I, I basically I don't think Enlightenment Europe uh, invented kindness. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's, it's kind of an arrogant claim that they're making. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not super, uh, it's a Eurocentric claim, some might say. Uh, I'm not, I'm not super worried about a world where classical liberalism no longer reigns. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's what I'll say about that. So yeah, like where things are headed, but, uh, do you think there could actually be a silver lining to this, uh, as opposed to if we just continued... <laughs> the liberalism of the 90s, like where we would be heading, is there a silver lining in CRT in that it's not necessarily inevitable that it's going to be something dystopian, something positive, could emerge out of it like uh, neo-tribalism, or more just kind of embracing a kind of like multiculturalism for all? You could say it's sort of a right-wing multiculturalism, which is what I've been advocating. Like, do you think CRT and woke culture could pave the way for that? So, um... I think I think most serious people, uh, r regardless of what you know their their background is, I think most serious people can look at all of this stuff. Like they can look, you know, they, you know, it's it's not just it's not just CRT, right? It's the it's the Yale students. This is this is in 2014 also. It's, it's, it's like you know Yale Yale college students, presumably adults, you know, 
kicking and screaming and stomping their feet at a, at a professor over, you know, perceived and imagined slights about him not knowing what their name is. And, you know, I mean, look, <laughs> like, like there's, there's obviously a kind of uh, just a coddled, hypersensitive, uh, you know, bully-like nature to, to a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, the proponents, a lot of the bearers of, of this stuff. And uh, I, I get the feeling that a lot, of, a lot of normal people are really just sick and tired of it. Uh, and no one wants to be the first person to say the emperor has no clothes, uh, but they're really, like, they, they just they don't want to put up with it anymore. So I think one of the I think one of the silver linings that'll come out of it is that, you know, if if these if these large institutions, uh, you know, <laughs> recently I Ibram X Kendi was uh, excuse me, Doctor Doctor Kendi uh, was uh, you know we, we have to we have to make it clear right right um, you know Doctor Kendi uh, you know was was nominated as a uh, as a as a MacArthur genius uh, you know he's given that fellowship and. Uh, you know, uh, you can you, you can just go and look at uh, yeah, like it sort of know, undermine. It does. It could undermine yeah, yeah, the culture yeah. of credentialism. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can you can go and look at uh, you know MacArthur grants from say the '80s or '90s, and you can see what you know geniuses were working on then, and you can compare it to what it is now. And like these these institutions, these credentialing systems, uh, these signals of what is important and what matters and what will carry people forward. Uh, you know whether they've been captured or whether they were always internally compromised uh, by this sort of you know quote woke stuff, which I think is basically just you know liberalism. Um, it's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, there's it's 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 just not it it can't continue. Um, and so I think there's a huge opportunity um, to to sort of create the the credentialing systems and the academic pipelines and the you know the, the the sort of parallel institutions that will be that will be a very big watchword uh, going forward. Um, that'll that'll give people a way out, and uh, I don't I don't think it'll happen. You know, at, at large national scale, uh, I don't I don't think there will be. Um, uh, if you if you've ever seen uh, the HBO series Westworld, I don't think a, a large portal will open up that we can all just run oh, through yeah, and yeah. Get to the, you know get to get to the promised side. And I don't think it's going to be like that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I see I see it every day, and you know, my own generational cohort and, and other people, uh, everyone kind of wants out of of this present system. Uh, whether it's interest in crypto, whether it's interest in uh, you know homesteading, uh, you know, every, everyone kind of wants out of this system. They don't want to be governed by these. Yeah, for sure. And then Peter Turchin, he has his theory of elite overproduction. Like if if the system doesn't even work for people in the top top five to ten percent then you could that's when it's going to make more of a difference as opposed to people who were previously towards the middle or the bottom yeah yeah possibly um i i think i think more so than um uh, you know i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna offer a full-on critique of uh, of church and siri uh, um uh, to me what what seems clear is that a lot of people who are smart who would like to do well for themselves and who basically followed all rules um, either aren't doing as well as they would like to uh, as well as they thought they'd be doing um, or they kind of notice that like you know the people who are in charge are just like not that good and they would very much like to replace them um, because they could do better and this is a you know this is a, a habit of, of basically of nobility of, of people who have this sort of you know kind of part martial part philosophical drive 
you know, they look at people in charge making mistakes over and over again. And their first thought is, I could do that a lot better, not, uh, wow, we need to find someone to do this better, right? You know, they, 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 get, to, they get to thinking, uh, we, are, we, are a primate, uh, we are a primate species, uh, so we, we have this sort of inner power drive. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think we'll get, um, I don't think we'll get a kind of a reset or a replacement of government at a national scale. Uh, that, you know, that, that, that's possible in some contexts. You know, it, it happened very dramatically with the, the Soviet Union turning into the Russian Federation and, you know, a lot of, a lot of Soviet satellite states turning into their own uh, sort of typical 19th century nation states. I don't think that's going to be what happens in the U.S. Um, I, I believe much more that we'll have something like the de-relevancing of the federal government, the de-relevancing of a lot of existing institutions, and the uh, a large increase in relevance for uh, things basically like city-states, um, but also uh, kind of economic associations and, and uh, political associations that sort of confer their members' rights and confer their members a better standard of life. There's like this talk of like the right wing who wants to kind of take back America, but uh, you know we talk about like alternative uh, institutions, and as far as like how people identify, do you see people identifying people identifying less as Americans is a major uh, trend? But uh, I'm not sure if you've read my articles on panenclavism. Do you see panenclavism taking off? or a kind of like right-wing version of multiculturalism. And I guess to kind of simplify that is it's where where people act the way a diaspora was, as opposed to this like, not just uh, the, the economically, politically, and uh, I, as far as like identity being invested in the American identity. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one, one thing that's really uh, interesting to me about how um, uh, both white conservatives and white liberals talk is that they they tend to talk about taking the country back. Uh, they tend to talk about um, you know America as this thing you know this entity that that uh, they define uh, or at least the United States as a polity. Um, and you know the reality is is that uh, in very short order um, you know whites will whites will be a minority in the United States and you know this 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 practice that we have of bifurcating, you know, U.S. citizens between white and non-white. Um, you know, non-whites are a very, very diverse group uh, that that can sometimes be as you know, politically and culturally distant from one another as they are from white people. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you split, uh, you know, white America down the middle of of just you know Democratic versus Republican. Um, you know, they're not really so politically or culturally or socially uh, definitive anymore. Um, and I think one of the one of the things that'll happen is that conservatives much more will come to uh, kind of a you know, admittedly and 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 reasonably, uh, sort of a painful realization that insofar as America is something that that they understood existed in the past from say, you know, the revolution through World War II or whatever, you know, bookending it nicely with these kind of existential wars. Um, that nation and that society is basically not coming back. And if they want to have a kind of political destiny for themselves, as themselves, um, it'll be one where, <coughs> uh, I, think, I think you're right, where they act kind of like a diaspora population. Um, so, you know, 
think of think of like Turkish migrants to Germany. Um, there's a very very strong sense of Turkish identity. Oh yeah, I think for a lot of them is uh, part of the reason I really embrace this is because like I grew up in a multicultural environment in LA, but I do think for so many white conservatives. It's it's alien, but it feels like they're kind of like letting. It's about letting go of a cope. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. So, like, if you look at Turks in Germany, there's a very very strong Turkish identity in Germany, and Turks sort of, you know, yeah, they speak German, and yes, they hold German citizenship, um, but they ultimately very often think of themselves as Turkish first, and this is true even in the most recent generations of Turks who, you know, are, are, are now, you know, sometimes even great-grandchildren, but often just grandchildren of the Gastabaitis. Um, and this is not really a problem for them because they understand themselves as a people who arrived somewhere. Uh, they, they understand themselves as a distinct nation that has emerged and has arisen and uh, in some sense has sort of taken the reins uh, in Germany. Whereas... I think a lot of German national politics, when it considers this, um, it feels very wounded by it because there is a sense of loss. There is a sense of, oh, well, you know, this was our thing. This was our place. This was our home for so long. And now uh, now it's someone else's home. Now it's someone else's place. And, uh, you know, where do, where do we go? Uh, and I think this sense of loss and um, this kind of painful... Uh, realization of the minoritization process, this is going to hit uh, conservative Americans, particularly white conservative America, much harder than it's going to hit, say, white liberals, but it'll also hit white liberals. Um, you know, white liberal Americans, uh, particularly those who are really educated uh, or who are doing well financially, tend to have, uh, although they don't admit it, uh, tend to have a very patronizing view of minorities. Uh, there was there was a study years ago. If you if you just Google it, you can you can find it pretty easily from keywords. Uh, white liberals, when talking to black people, sort of dumb down their speech. I have heard yeah, about that, yeah. but it's like looking at measures of ethnocentrism, both like positive and and uh, negative ethnocentrism. Like I saw a study like with intermarriage rates. Actually, white liberals and white conservatives, their intermarriage rates outside their race are actually tied. So it's it is hard to yeah, kind of yeah, measure yeah. ethnocentrism. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm expanding the point. So so what I'm saying is that like, you know, where whereas you know, there, there's going to be a much more painful like sense of loss I think realized among white conservatives uh, because they they really you know oftentimes like you know white conservatives don't really live in cities. Uh, they might not be that highly educated. They might not know many people of other races. And so, you know, they can kind of live, um, they can sort of form a political consciousness in a kind of a, a geographically, temporally, um, you know, mediated bubble that doesn't really tell them about the demographic future. Uh, you know, and obviously liberals can live in their own bubbles and often do, but, you know, the demographic realities that they live in are the ones that are, are going to shape the, the country as a whole. Um, you know, white liberals will also realize in time that, like, uh, actually, uh, black people aren't children, and actually, you know, other non-whites, um, you know, they, they maybe don't conceive of themselves as just non-white Americans. They have their own identities, and those identities really don't involve uh, white liberal 
uh, notions about what their role is supposed to be or what politics they're supposed to have. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of this kind of um, uh, very, very imperious, uh, you know, presumptive politics among white liberals, uh, that is also going to be answered by reality. And, and the reality might not be nearly so uh, servitude, uh, you know, excuse me, servile uh, to their interests as they expect. Um, and uh, I think that'll also be a big change for, for them to get used to. Uh, so those, those two things, um, you know, they're, they're sort of different flavors uh, for, for the left and for the right of, of white America. But I think those two things will, will mean that um, people start to rely on uh, their own tribes, uh, their, own, uh, their own communities. And I don't think it'll actually be entirely bounded by race. Um, but I think it will be sort of bounded by what I would say is caste. Um, so I don't think it'll be entirely class-based, uh, and I don't think it'll be entirely race-based, but I think it'll be this kind of emergent uh, property of these two things where you have, you, know, you have these clusters of people with certain social traits and certain you know, economic roles who kind of socialize together, eat together, marry among one another, are friends with one another, work with one another, uh, and they don't really cross over so much to sort of the other sides or the other castes. Uh, and this is this is what you see in societies that have castes. Um, you, know, you see commensalism. You see uh, endogamy. You see, you, know, you, you see all of these things. And uh, I think America is developing that. I, th I think both white America and, and America's sort of individual subnations as a whole are, are, are starting to develop that. Kind of revisiting, like, uh, enclaves and tribes. Like, there are these countless examples you could give of enclaves with obviously like the immigrant and uh, religious groups as the obvious example, but I think it will be it will be a number of factors. Like it won't. It's the future. It's not going to be. It's not going to be racial total racial separation as people envisioned it in the past and the present. But it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be the dream of liberalism where we have one blended global humanity or one blended uh, yeah, nation. There was, yeah, there was a magazine cover from many years ago. Maybe uh, Time, Time Magazine, magazine right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a magazine cover from many years ago on, it was Time Magazine and they had a, uh, you know, a young woman's face and it was like, this is going to be... Cool, it was and, actually when yeah, the millennial yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so it was like, this is going to be the face of Americans. And I think, you know, really what people's model of the world was, was that you know, how do all of these questions of the end of history and, you know, how do all of these questions of a multicultural society and, you know, how, how do all of these differences between peoples who live within the same polity get resolved? And I think a really naive, um, a really naive solution to this is, well, everyone will just sort of become the same thing. Uh, and, and because of that, we'll have, you know, we'll have one set of laws and one set of moral expectations and, you know all of all of this stuff, and um, you know uh, America at one point did actually have that. It, it it did basically have one predominant ethnic group. It did basically have one predominant uh, you know religion, and it had essentially you know one language, and it you know it, it did indeed enjoy a very 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 stable uh, political process. Um, and in fact, you know the the kind of the kind of shared uh, people and and language and you know, political expectations that it had, uh, these are, these are, I mean, Jeff Sessions found out you're not really supposed to say this, 
this was Anglo-American law, um, you know, ultimately deriving from English common law, uh, you know, hence hence the the phrase. And you know, this kind of this kind of order was very very stable. And it's very productive, and it you know it allows you to do really nice things. Um, and then and then America lost that. So uh, I think I think what what people were doing when they presented that picture. Of you know, well, we're just you know the modal American is going to look like this, and we're all gonna you know be blended together. I think they were trying to offer a kind of a hopeful picture of unity. Uh, they weren't necessarily trying to be you know triumphalist about one group or another. Uh, you know, sort of you know uh, they, they weren't they weren't trying to they weren't trying to offend anyone. I think what they were doing more was sort of in, in line with um, uh, you know Vasconcelos's uh, La Raza Cosmica. Um, this this idea that you know dates back to the twenties that you know actually the the American people are going to be this sort of blended people this sort of you know shimmering bronze uh, people who who are sort of a a, a mix of, of all of the peoples. Yeah, of the and sometimes it's often linked to a kind of like you have like we talked about right wing multiculturalism and then like anti American leftism, but it's not anti American leftism. There's this kind of new woke civic nationalism with new American heroes. Yeah, and and you know, you know maybe maybe that would have been good, but it seems to me that the the trend lines um, aren't going to allow this to happen. It seems to me that uh, really what will what will happen is that people who are very much like one another or who can get along because they're the same cast. Uh, they will kind of form their own sort of clusters. So you're you're not going to get like um, total dissolution and complete fragmentation and breakdown of society. This is this is also like kind of a there's there's a very childish mode of thinking in the right wing where it's like oh well if this thing can't continue we're gonna have collapse right and you know collapse as a as a phrase is just overused and you know people don't even think or it's a cope too what they're even trying to say. Um, so you're not you're not going to get this like total disintegration of society and just like you know anarchy in the streets. Uh, you know every everywhere is a CVS in San Francisco. No 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 no. Um, but uh, yeah, you know a, a lot of the a lot of the kind of expectations that we have in America right now of oh of course I can go here. Oh of course I can go to that school. Oh of course uh, you know this is a, this is a neighborhood I can live in. Um, even if those things don't change in formal law much more profound social barriers will start to be erected in a way that you know maybe resembles Latin America in a way that maybe resembles India and I I, I really just don't think that like uh, older boomers and uh, you know Gen Xers I really don't think they're prepared frankly I don't think Millennials are prepared for that either um, but that's that's what I feel is, is is coming yeah like America it's kind of like post it won't be I think collapse like collapse theory is kind of a cope like I don't expect to see the United States collapse and even even like with Rome it took them centuries but kind of post-Americanism where it's like an internal <coughs> empire where it exists as a political and economic zone with no coherent uh, identity with many uh Oh, well, I, I think there will be a coherent identity, and that that identity will be like the United States, um, and that you know that is already like, you know, to to be a United States citizen is already kind of kind of a weird thing, right? Um, you know, there's no real expectation of what you value if you're a United States citizen. This is what I mean. This is this is so like you know, being a U.S. citizen is already kind of crazy. Um, 
And I think when you when you make something like political membership so open and so common and so uniform and so easy to get, people kind of naturally gravitate to things that are unique, things that are unfakeable, uh, things that um, you know are authentic and real and have a kind of a weight behind them. And U.S. citizenship and you know having a you know a passport and you know la di da like. All of that stuff is kind of like, you know, it's it's just a tax document at this point. It it just gives you residency right, gives you some tax obligations. Uh, no one really believes that it it confers particular advantage on them over, say, you know, a Canadian passport or uh, or a UK passport or a French passport, right? You know, the the only reason. You know, some of some of the you know the, some of those latter passports might sound pretty outré, is because you know if you don't speak French, your French passport isn't so useful, because uh, because everywhere it's good is uh, is largely francophone. Um, but I, I don't even think American conservatives at this point really believe that their their U.S. citizenship makes them you know, as they would often say, freer than anyone else. Uh, that that argument. Um, First of all, you know, even if you were to accept what is ultimately a capital L liberal argument that America is good because it lets everyone be very free, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think even the most jingoist of conservatives can really, uh, really make that case anymore. You know, you, they, they, they can look around and it's like, how, how free do you feel? Uh, you know, certainly, you know, COVID restrictions are part of that, but just, you know, just not, not even things that are informal law. This is what I mean by like these sort of... Um, very powerful informal social restrictions, right? You know what you can say, what you can think, you know who, you know who, whom you must never offend. You know all all of these things sort of combine to uh, actually make us kind of not so free, and uh, that's that's why I think association with with sort of other identities is probably probably on the horizon, if not already sort of bubbling under the surface. Do you see a further consolidation of power by the establishment? Uh, there's all this debate about like the degree of the U.S. soft power. Some people are saying Afghanistan was a major blow, but even even that, I, I mean that even that that's pretty debatable. But like they're at, like, with like further yeah, civil wars, yeah, yeah, crackdowns, and uh, yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah. No, I get that. It depends on the locus of power that you're talking about, right? If you're talking about the United States and the power that it is able to uh, employ. Um, outside of its territories, essentially, you know, how much of a say it has and what other nations do in the world. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, in many ways, the, you know, the U U.S. reputation, not even in like a dumb, oh, Trump, Trump harmed, you know, U.S. reputation, Biden was good for U.S. reputation, but Obama was better and Bush was bad. Not even in this like dumb, not in this dumb, like, you know, uh, one-on-one geopolitics way. I, I mean, like, really, in a <clears throat> in like a meat and potatoes way, uh, the rest of the world can just look at the relative economies of the United States and of China. They can look at their trade volumes, and they can basically conclude that China is a, a, a more important economy than the United States. It's actually much more important to be on really good relations with China than it is to be necessarily on really good relations with America, because even if the Americans are upset with you, what can they really do, right? Um, whereas if the Chinese are really upset with you, uh, you know that can that can be a big problem if they're your largest trading trading partner. Where you know America might be two or even three, uh, and you know pretty far away too. 
so yeah, like I think I think U.S. global power will continue to wane. Um, it won't go away, obviously, because nukes count for something. Uh, but internally, internally, um, you know, the U.S. regime, let's call it, uh, is is always consolidating power. It is always becoming more powerful. It is always becoming more determinative of of different spheres of our lives and, and how we live our lives. However, um, I don't think that process will necessarily continue inexorably because you know even if you look at something very small like U.S. dollar usage, is it really true? that all economic labor in the United States and all um, enumeration of wealth, uh, whether that wealth is someone's expected future labor, uh, a receipt, uh, whether that wealth is um, you know, what they think their car is worth, is it really true internally that all Americans are going to continue using the US dollar and nothing else? Uh, I, think, I think it would be very naive to assume the answer to that question is yes, uh, given, given how massive uh, you know the market cap of just Bitcoin has become, uh, you know, quote within the United States. I really just among among Americans who have a Bitcoin wallet. So uh, while while the the U.S. regime will certainly uh, try to assert more and more of its sovereignty internally, I don't think it'll actually get that, and I think it will become less and less relevant over time to Americans. The overall power of the establishment. I mean, I guess kind of using these buzzwords can be a, a bit intellectually lazy, but just your thoughts on like the overall consolidation of power of the elites, which relates to like deplatforming, but also economic consolidation with corporations. Uh, do you see well, that, that I mean, or do you that, see that, like something well, yeah, like crypto? I mean, that's, that's why I the, that's yeah, why I like you gave the, up crypto, like crypto could lead to greater decentralization. There are opportunities. Yeah, but that's, I mean, I, I brought up, that's why I brought up these like sort of two concrete examples, right? How much do you think you should be paid for something? And uh, what do you think your things are worth if you want to buy or sell them, right? These are not, you know, these are not buzzwords. These are these are like real, you know, it's like, hey, I built a website for you, pay me, right? Or like, hey, I want to buy your car, uh, cool. What do you want for it? You know, like these are these are these are the economic relationships that that governments tax, that governments regulate, that governments have a, you know, a profound interest in making regular and you know, protecting people from, from adversarial relationships. These are, I mean, this is, this is kind of the bread and butter of governance. Uh, that's, that's what it means to govern. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I just, don't, I just don't see people relying on uh, the U.S. dollar and a lot of uh, legacy structures of U.S. government in order to continue those relationships. You know. Uh, one of the things that distinguishes uh, the sovereign territory of the Republic of France from, uh, you know, the United States of America is that, like, uh, American financial law and, like, you know, um, uh, U.S. tax requirements and things like that, you know, they're, they're, they don't operate in France. <laughs> the, the, the IRS is actually not the body responsible for, 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 right? You know what I mean? It's like It's like, actually, they have their own thing because it's sovereign territory. That's how you know it's sovereign territory. Um, and so to the degree that Americans no longer actually participate in these sort of um, uh, U.S. provenance structures and, and even tools like currency, uh, to that degree, the U.S. becomes less and less and less relevant to Americans. Uh, and I think, that, I think that's already, that process is already underway. Yeah, just kind of beyond like politics, like is your main advice to people is just focusing on... Uh... Personal success, building up actual communities, like all these uh, 
This relates to crypto. This relates to uh, remote work. But uh, is that a main theme? Is uh, do you focus uh, I mean, more on politics yeah. or more on that kind of like personal career of, career of life advice? Yeah, I, I am. I am not uh, old enough or wealthy enough to really be giving people uh, life advice. But um, uh, I what what I will say is that like you know I I'm a I'm a millennial. I am a child of the '90s. Um, I remember the attacks of 9/11 very, very clearly. Uh, you know, I remember our sort of our transition from, you know, anthrax and cipro and you know uranium yellow cake from Africa. Uh, you know, Terry Schiavo this and Lance Armstrong that. Uh, you know, Gnarls Barkley and uh, you know, uh, the Black Eyed Peas not being cool anymore. Uh, the iPod. You know, the iPhone, um, people stopped using MetaCafe and they started using YouTube. Uh, you know, I went to college and then Tinder happened and, you know, Barack Obama was reelected. And, you know, this, this sort of this sort of weird uh, online mediated uh, slide into modernity. Uh, you know, I'm a product of that as, as much as any other millennial of my age. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed is people keep getting less when they put out more. Uh, you, can, you can go to school and you can work really hard and you'll have less than your parents did at the same age. You can try really hard uh, and, and you keep getting less, right? So like, you know, the currency is worth less, it buys less, uh, you know, there are fewer opportunities for ownership. Um, uh, and then, you know, on the flip side of this, it seems like some people are doing really, really well, right? And like, you know, uh, I, I can't complain too much. You know, I, I, I get that uh, remote worker privilege, that tech worker privilege. Uh, you know, I get, <laughs> you know, my, my options at a, at, a former, at a former place of work did well for me. Um, so, like, I can't complain too much, but I can also look around at all of the people that I went to high school with, and I can see that, like, fucking none of this is true for them, right? And, like, actually the opposite is true for them. It kind of, like, <laughs> you know, kind of bothers me a lot. Um, and so... I, I guess what I would say, like in terms of in terms of advice, is like, you know, think twice about how much loyalty um, and how much trust you 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 should have in uh, in kind of these these incumbent institutions, um, these sort of normal patterns of living, these normal ways to follow the rules and do the right things. Um, you know, sometimes they work out uh, and they can work out really well for people. I you know I've certainly enjoyed conventional successes, but uh, a lot of the times, uh, they really, you know, they, they, they get you invested in a pattern of life that ultimately serves someone else. Um, you know, really, really simple thing like, you know, why do you ever, you know, why do you ever buy fast food? Why do you ever eat fast food? It's not even good for you. And like, who's getting that money? And uh, why isn't that money going to cooking? And, uh, you know, is it really even cheaper? Uh, you know, these, these kinds of like mundane things. Uh, that really sort of underline our participation in the system, uh, you know, added up all together, you know, it's kind of like the entire arc of your life. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's how you eat, it's, how, it's where you live, it's who you talk to, it's whom you marry. Um, and, uh, and, and every little bit of control that we cede to, uh, to this system, we reward the people that are incumbent in controlling it. And, uh, you know, some of those people are just like straight up pedophiles, right? Like we learned this with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh yeah, we, yeah. We, we, learned, 
you know, we learned we learned like the abs, just the you know, and and you know the the prince, whatever his name was, Prince Andrew, in, in the UK. You know, like a lot of these a lot of these people in control of everything, like they're really fucking gross, right? Like, not only are they not good at their jobs and they don't actually do very well for us, but they're like they're really just like straight up evil. So, um, I guess I guess like sort of broad. I'd be like, look at all the ways in which you participate in the system and keep it running, and you know, give it, give it wind in its sails, even when you think you're resisting it, you know, politically. Look at all of those things and and see if you can cut them out, like just reduce them to zero or get them as as minimal as possible, um, because you'll you'll be healthier, you'll feel better, and even if you know, maybe you won't live in the most fashionable section of New York City anymore, but. Uh, you know, it wasn't so. It's not so great, anyways. Uh, there, there, there are more important things in life. So that's that's what I would say on that. And then, yeah, you do have you do have like all these millennials uh, near now approaching middle age, and uh, they haven't like reached these uh, these like life goals of uh, economically. But you see like the rates of marriage plummeting, uh, fertility rates, and then the whole kind of like. In cell issue. So, like, what do you make make of all this? And do you see a generation that are approaching middle age? Like, do you see them as being like a lost generation? Yeah. So, I, I spoke a little bit about this on uh, on Alex uh, Alex Kashuda's podcast. Uh, you know, AK Subversive on Twitter. Oh yeah, um, I think I did listen to that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, well, I've I've been on before, but I was on recently. I don't know if the second one. Maybe it's the. I think uh, maybe it's the out. first one. Yeah, yeah. I I came back for for sort of round two. Um, yeah, I I didn't I didn't really say it on that podcast because we we all we were kind of, one we kind of ran out of time. I'm very loquacious as you can tell, but but two, um, I didn't feel so confident as I did now. But like, yeah, I think it's just kind of over for a lot of millennials. Um, and uh, this is you know not not to be like cavalier about it, but like. You know, millennials. If you if you if you take like the typical uh, birth boundaries, you know, some millennials are like 35 or 36 now, um, and uh, you know, a lot of them actually are married. A lot of them actually are becoming parents. A lot of them actually are homeowners. Um, and in fact, most of those who are are about that age, right? You know, they're they're sort of on the border with Gen X and and millennials, um, but a lot aren't. And uh, you know the proportions of people who aren't or aren't even somewhat on track for that in in the younger parts of the millennial cohort and sort of the early Zoomer cohort. Uh, I it it kills me to say it, but like I feel like it's it's basically it's over for them. Uh, they they are not going to, um, you know, the the next five years of their lives, the next you know even two years of their life. Uh, if you start going much much below two years, you have to start thinking of months and seasons. Um, you know, where where do these sort of magical solutions come from? Uh, you know, where where you know what what changes so radically in their lives that uh, you know they move they move on a different path? I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that are like this. You know, someone whose credit is really bad in their late twenties and early thirties. Um, they usually don't have really great credit in their 40s and 50s, uh, and you know part of that is the unfairness of maybe the FICO system, but part of that is that like, you know, uh, <laughs> past past performance at a mature age is is kind of an indication of like, 
you know how things are and 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 it's not always you know it's not to indict anyone you know there are a lot of there are a lot of structural things that millennials had to deal with from you know really basically their childhood that that they had no say in but like those things are kind of locked in now and so um i yeah it, it's it's a pretty bleak picture i think that awaits us uh the silver lining to that uh is that i think a lot of zoomers and a lot of the generation after zoomers uh, who are basically being born to the most functional and the most competent of the millennials and Gen Xers, uh, they will get kind of a front row seat to these, uh, like, just, you know, uh, human tragedies, and they will see, like, oh, look, this is, what, this is what your life can be like if you do these things. Oh, shit, okay, I shouldn't do those things. Um, so I think there will, I think there will be uh, kind of a... Um, Kind of a, uh, a silver lining in that regard, but yeah, dude, I don't know. I, it, it it looks pretty bad. It looks pretty bad for for our. Uh, I believe you are also a millennial. Yeah, you're I'm turning uh, turning 36 this year, next month. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so you you remember uh, you remember uh, uh, Magic School Bus and you remember oh, Space yeah. Jam. And, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh, I think things are pretty 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 bleak for uh, for our generation, and uh, you know that's that's not just pessimism. I think it it really is bad. Yeah, like, it's impacting Zoomers, but at least they get, like, what you said about being raised by the most functional of Gen X and Millennials, and then getting a front row seat. And then there's also this kind of, like, the the gender war stuff, like these red pill YouTubers, uh, they kind of have a kind of schadenfreude, like, fantasy about, like, women who hit the wall, but I'd say, like, you'd say these issues impact both genders equally, or is there a disparity? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, men, men and women are, are two halves of humanity. We, we need one another. Um, and so, you know, I get, I get, like, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get why, you know, uh, like, (laughs) yes, I too was once also a sexually frustrated middle schooler, right? Like, I get it. You know, like, there are a lot of, a lot of dudes who... Uh, like fr- frankly, have been dealt like a pretty terrible hand, and uh, it's really easy to be like, uh, you know, these these terrible women. Uh, I hope nothing good happens to them. Blah 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 blah. But it's like, you know, the flip side of that is like, you know, what 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 great goods have been happening to you, right? And so, you know, I, I like, you know, my my professional circles have a lot of, um, you know, I work in tech, and so I have, you know, I have a lot of uh, sort of eligible male friends who. Uh, don't really talk to that many women, uh, and I have a lot of, I guess you would say, eligible female friends who, uh, you know, they, they are also in their early 30s and also unmarried, and, like, uh, it's not good, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not good. Like, there's nothing good about it for, for either group, and uh, I wish it weren't the case. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say on that. Like, I, I, I don't see a good way to repair it um, between, between the genders. Uh, I, think, I think things are... Uh, are basically too far gone uh, in in a lot of millennials, um, and so a lot of life patterns that haven't been initiated won't be initiated. There's no real uh, playbook for what it looks like for people to try and figure out being young parents in their early, you know, mid to late thirties or early forties. That's just it's a very unnatural thing, right? Like it's actually it's actually pretty fucking crazy, <laughs> you know. Like people people are not supposed to become first time parents in their late thirties and early forties, but that's like that's what people are trying to do now. And um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. 
uh, like I, I have I have more stuff that I'm writing up on my Substack, uh, which again is IndianBronson.substack.com. Got to shill it, uh, and uh, you know I, I I will offer some predictions there that I think um, you know a, a serious person looking at at the data. Uh, there will there will be lots of graphs. Uh, you know I can't help myself. I think a serious person looking at them can kind of evaluate. You know how much do I trust this? How much do I trust that? But um, yeah, broadly, I would say it's uh, it's not looking good. Oh yeah, like you did post uh, oh, those graphs you posted. And the thing is, like these things go. <laughs> yes. uh, but the thing is, yeah, like these like trends. You're you're, you're you're graphing. You're talking about human behavior, and you're graphing. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, you know, the the thing is though, like you know, these, these kind of large um, these kind of large meta discussions about like you know. Once you start talking about men or women, you know, men is a lot of people <laughs> in, in this set of all people. It's about half, right? And so, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict the individual, but, um, you know, thinking about clusters of individuals or populations of individuals and, and you know, cohort trends, uh, this is a lot more doable, and, and we, can, we can do it pretty accurately. And, uh, you know, to the degree to which we resemble certain cohorts, we can can start to think about our own lives a, a little bit more seriously, and so, uh, so that's 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 why I graph post about uh, about about you know human relationships. But but yeah, no, it's it, it's it's important. Um, you know, uh, economics uh, comes from from the Greek uh, you know oikos nomos, and uh, that I believe roughly translates to uh, what does this have to do with how I live my life in my own house? Uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's you know, it's, it, these things are actually really determinative of overall social conditions. So, um, yeah, I you know, you know, hope hope springs eternal. Uh, maybe maybe the legions of unmarried, childless people who are uh, sort of aging out of, of fertility and and the ability to to you know put aside their own lives and, and raise families and stuff like that. You know, maybe maybe they'll all get married next year. Um, but I'm not. I'm just not optimistic. I don't see it happening. Uh, before I wrap up the show, Indian Bronson, do you want to uh, plug any upcoming Substack articles or any other uh, projects that you're working on? And also your Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll plug. I'll plug my Substack. So, um, unfortunately, we did not meet our goal of deporting me to Kabul. So, if you signed up at the deport me to Kabul tier, and if you head over to my Substack, you'll see what I'm talking about. Wasn't there something like someone said someone wanted to? deport you to Durban in July, and then when Afghanistan came up, they wanted to deport you to Kabul, and you're getting deported <laughs> yeah, everywhere. I forget, I forget what the details were, but uh, yeah, no, if you, if you, you know, if you, if you read, if you read my Substack, my, my opinions on the, uh, on the emirate will be quite clear, uh, even as a Hindu. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we will meet our September goal of, uh, of deporting me to Kabul. So if you signed up at that tier, uh, you're going to be comped. Um, if you didn't sign up at that tier, uh, shame on you. Uh, you're maybe, I mean, we, we, you know, we could have had something special. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be writing more about, uh, you know, the, the, the theme of a lot of my articles is sort of like decentralization, uh, you, know, you know, future possible systems of governance and things like that. But it will get a little bit more relationship bloggy because you know, at at a at a scale less uh, maybe maybe less uh, stirring of, of the human powers for uh, human passions for power is like you know politics. Uh, you know, a lot of governance really comes down to like 
you know, what does this person owe this person? You know, what, what, what is this person obligated to do for that person? Or you know, what are these groups of people supposed to do for these groups of people? And, you know, those, those human relationships, um, you know, economists like to kind of uh, turn them into transactional, rational behaviors, but they're really, you know, I mean, people are a lot sloppier and a lot more, um, and a lot more complicated than, uh, than, than uh, you know, normal views of politics can, can give them credit for. And I think if you, if you talk through how humans behave with one another, uh, how, how humans behave with one another, right? Like it just sounds, it sounds so crazy. Like if you talk through like how people get along, um, you'll have a much clearer picture of why the politics are the way they are and what they could be. And, uh, and, and that, that's, that sort of lens is, is one that I want to spend more time on. And um, I think it's just like an earthier, less stupid, uh, pie-in-the-sky way to, to, to think through pretty, pretty serious problems. Uh, Indian Bronson, uh, great show. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.